mm-hmm. my house, my rules. Like you're asking your kid to like start a brothel when you go out of town. Can <laughs> you talk like that? Welcome to Cover Your Eyes. Today we're talking about the movie Risky Business from 1983. Right? Yes. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Hi. <laughs> Starring the one and only Tom Cruise <laughs> and Rebecca De Mornay. I enjoyed it. Me too. I haven't seen it in forever and like to be honest the main thing i even remembered was just the dance scene that everyone knows and then kind of like rebecca de mornay being there but i don't remember much about it i'm not sure i really ever paid attention to it as a kid Mm -hmm. other than the iconic wearing a dress shirt and your underwear and socks (laughs) (laughs) that which is like, would a high school kid even really like that song? I don't know. But he liked it in that movie. And that's like really the main thing I remembered. So I was pleasantly surprised at the rest of it because I, I thought it was good. And I felt like it had a John Hughes-esque feel to it. And again, they were in Illinois, Chicago area. I'm like, was every 80s movie that I watched just filmed in Chicago? <laughs> I think so. I thought I thought the center of Hollywood was Chicago when I was growing up. Yeah, it must have been for like teen movies. Yeah, it was. But John Hughes didn't have anything to do with this movie, right? But it had no. that feel, and I feel like I could see where it was like inspiring some other movies. I felt like a strong Ferris Bueller inspiration mm-hmm. from this movie. Well, the Porsche gets wrecked. Yes. It falls off something mm-hmm. after a long battle of sun versus car. Yep. Which is the battle for my daddy's affection. Because mm-hmm. all he can give me are material goods. Exactly. So that was very Ferris Bueller-y. Mm-hmm. He kind of had elements of Ferris and Cameron. Because he was, like, worried about college so much. He was kind of, like, a stick in the mud and afraid to do anything, like Cameron. You know, Yes. If you stuck a lump of coal up his ass in a week, you'd have a diamond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ferris says something like that. That's how Joel was in this movie. And... <laughs> Then he's got, like, his friends that are telling him, like, don't be a stick in the mud, take chances, blah, blah, blah. So his friends are kind of like the Ferris, and he's like the Cameron, and then that's what I was thinking. Miles in particular. Booger is Miles Booger. Yes. Just say what the fuck. Sometimes you just got to say what the fuck. So um, the main thing that I really loved about this movie (laughs) was the opening scene when they were playing cards, Um, like the classic guys in a basement playing cards together scene and it opens with bronson pinchot balky from perfect strangers yes and i was like oh my god it's balky 
Because <laughs> I didn't remember him being in this at all. And yeah. like during the pandemic, we started watching Perfect Strangers <laughs> just yeah. randomly. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I am embarrassed, but I was like really enjoying it. And I was loving Balky. <laughs> I feel like it holds up. Well, you know, he's he's like a Yale educated actor. Yeah, wow. Like a serious actor. Oh my God. Well, yeah. I think he's very good. I think he's good in this movie. I he's think he's great underrated. I'm going to start looking for more Bronson Pinchot projects. He's always a standout when I see him. Yeah. I really I don't think. know what else I've ever seen him in. Yeah. But. He was in uh, True Romance. Oh, my God. He played that real coked out guy. I think I they remember. met at, like, amusement park. Uh-huh. And he is all like coked out and sweaty and just like really great, really great scenes with him. Okay. Yeah. I I <laughs> I really do love him. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so happy. I do too. <laughs> I'm gonna look for more. That's awesome. Another just like quick note on Perfect mm-hmm. Strangers. Um, I feel like Larry, who is the cousin the curly haired mm-hmm. guy who they both look like they're in their 30s and supposedly they're like 26 or something yeah, right. i was like Ooh, it's been rough 26 years <laughs> but larry i feel like is a prototype for chandler for friends if you watch oh. it the way he talks and some of his mannerisms are very like interesting you can see some chandler in there just saying and also I- he was from chicago <laughs> Do you want to have your mind blown? Yeah, I've never I've never seen a full episode of Friends before. Oh, wow. good for you! At most, I would say ten minutes. Okay, and it was a painful ten <laughs> minutes for me. We were gonna make so many people angry. I know, and I and you know what? I am not. I'm not being like your show sucks. I'd never say that. I'm saying me personally, it's not mm-hmm. my jam. It's just not mm-hmm. my jam. Nothing yeah. personal. If you, because you're into stuff, you know, there's stuff I like that you don't like. Mm-hmm. You, whoever you are that is into friends. Not like me. <laughs> not you, per, you know, not you personally. But that but too. The larger you, but anyone, you know. I mean, yeah. there's no judgment around it. It's not the 90s. Mm-hmm. It's not like, do you remember in the 90s when everybody was like, that sucks. That that thing sucks. And it was just like, it either sucks or it doesn't. Like, yeah. There's like this declarative statement on it. And it's like, you're not the value police. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I mean, not either. <laughs> right. That's how I am with uh, like how I met your mother. I feel like we are the only people, my husband and I, who like didn't watch that show. I just, seen like parts of it and just didn't do it for me mm-hmm. but i know I, I'll, everyone like really loves it same thing like mm-hmm. it's not like i think i'm too good for it just for some reason yeah it's not doing it for me i mean yeah. i love nph obviously but i don't know it's not my thing yeah but yeah so now that we've talked about a bunch of sitcoms <laughs> yes <laughs> I just had to get that Balky thing out. And I'm totally. so glad to find out that you like Bronson Pinchot too. I, th- I think he's a standout any anytime I see him in a role. You're right. 
Everybody else fades into the background. And I know that you're going to say, yeah, but he's on screen with Tom Cruise. And it's like Tom Schmom, you know, Mm -hmm. because you get to see Tom the whole movie and he's doing his Tom thing. Yeah. Now, also, though, he is a good actor, so it's confusing. Tom? Yeah. I'm, he is a good actor. So it's He's odd. He's very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, so he's all like uptight and shy and like really like, oh, about succeeding mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie and getting into college and no fun. You know, he's like, I shouldn't have fun. I just need to get my nose to the grindstone. But he keeps dreaming about a nude girl in the shower. He's a teenage boy. But there's a guilt. He's got guilt. He does. About his sexual desire. Mm-hmm. And He's repressed for a teenage boy. Yeah, big time. So it's interesting because he goes from that to being this cool guy who's like the mover and shaker and he's on top of the world and he wears his, sun- his sunglasses at night. That guy who's running the brothel and recruiting all of the teenagers to his parents' house that is being run as a brothel while they're out of town for the weekend. Actually, the persona that Tom Cruise takes on and becomes for the whole world, like in his real life. So in a weird way, it was kind of like disturbing because I feel like this movie, we're actually getting like a strange look into the real Tom Cruise that we don't really get in any other movie. Hmm. I don't know about the brothel part. (laughs) Do they allow that in Scientology for you to run a brothel? Well, (laughs) yes. Yeah. I felt like at the end I was seeing like Tom Cruise in, um, he looked like how he looked in Rain Man. Mm. when he's wearing like the blazer and the sunglasses all the time. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, here's Rain Man Tom coming out at the end. Yes. So, okay, just like quick. So he's like a teenager. His family's rich. They, It's like a John Hughes family. Again, it's like the parents are rich. They never spend any time with their kid. They just like give him stuff and he lives in a nice house. And then, of course, they go out of town. He's all like repressed. His friends are like, you need to fucking live, have a party or whatever. Actually, I thought he was going to have a party like the typical, but he didn't. Mm-mm. His friend calls a sex worker over for him. He's reluctant, but things happen. And then eventually he like gets entangled with the sex worker and like dates her mm-hmm. and then briefly turns the house into a brothel. He's transformed. The parents come back. He's still transformed and he gets into Princeton. Like that's the movie. Boom. Yes. Now we can talk about whatever we want. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I just like jump around everywhere the whole entire time. So I feel like for this one, I just wanted to give like a quick no, synopsis I love this. of like, dink, dink, dink. What can you do this every episode? I really yeah. <laughs> I like these summaries. <laughs> yes. So I don't know. I felt like, I don't know. I just was really impressed by this movie and really impressed by Tom's acting chops. And I know that he's, like, kind of controversial now at this point. But I really do think he was, like, a very good actor. Yeah. And um, he's talented. You can and he's so adorable. Mm-hmm. Like, he's adorable. 
I think that you said before, like Tom doesn't really do it for you, like looks wise. I understand why people think he's adorable, mm-hmm. but he has a bravado. It drops my Peter meter down to zero. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my god! I've never heard you say that. I don't think I've ever heard that said. But I get what it means. <laughs> it's like wah wah. Anytime somebody's like, "I'm hot shit," I'm just like, "Yeah, no thanks, man." I, I don't care know. what you look like. I just don't. I'm not into it. I feel like I think that he still seems just like a nice person mm-hmm. that he's not like that but i mean i guess he kind of is i saw every tom cruise movie in the 80s at mm-hmm. the movie theater with oh. marty my cousin nice. marty who's like 14 years older than i am she loved tom cruise so did aunt pishy yeah and so we would watch, I just was, grew up with Tom Cruise movies and I grew up with them talking about like how cute he was and everything. When I watched this as a kid, I didn't like it at all. I just had this like weird, like kind of bad feeling in the pit of my stomach. And maybe it's the first Tom Cruise movie I've ever seen. And so I have some weird association with that too, that would negate any attraction I might have for him. I've seen all of his movies and as, as a the eighties movies, I totally get why people think he's like really attractive, though. Yeah, it's like Tom Cruise has to have this uh, like he's got to be a hero. This character, Joel, he goes from being. The shy, uptight guy who feels really guilty because he fantasizes about women's boobs. Right. You know, as a teenage boy, I mean, come on, please don't feel guilty about that. I know, know, poor guy. He goes from that to recruiting, actively going around town, recruiting teenage boys to pay money to have sex with adult women at his parents' house. Yeah, all within one week. He's like all slick and, you know, filled with bravado. And I just thought this is a really great example of whenever you see these people that are all schmoozy and they wear their sunglasses at night and they act like Joel, that behind that is probably somebody who's pretty insecure. Yes. But (laughs) that doesn't really mean that, like, you should try to get to that layer of, like, where where his sweetness is or whatever. Because it's, like, that's something for them to figure out not for you to fix Mm -hmm. because part of the problem with this movie is that Joel was really appealing to a lot of women. I don't trust people who have personality flips like that, that that in my, from my experience in life, people who can go from being 
extremely shy and reserved to being like the life of the party that's schmoozing everyone and being the cool guy is like there's something off there to me that I don't really like. I can see that. If we go back through our minds in the picture book of true crime, does Joel's mom look like anyone to you? Uh, Benet Ramsey's mom? Yes. Oh my God. Ding, ding. Yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah. You're right. I knew she reminded me of someone. Like, I couldn't get Whoa. it out of my head. Like, every okay. time I would see her, I was like, that's like her mom. Yeah, I can see that. Those bonkers. So that is just like a fun fact. Yeah, I mean, that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just wanted to be sure if there was more. Was <laughs> no, you're like, right. I was just like, oh, my God. You know, she just looks exactly like Patsy Ramsey. Joel's dad is like, at one point, he even says, my house, my rules. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's what I thought. I was like, okay, you're asking for it, dad. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they're way too hard on Joel. Like, he seems like a pretty decent kid. He yeah. doesn't get in trouble. His grades are okay. He's not, like, amazing. And he gets in trouble by his dad for, like, adjusting the equalizer on the stereo. He's like, Joel, come here. I need to talk to you. <laughs> and there's like, music playing. Yeah, he's like, do you hear anything unpleasant? And Joel's he's- like, no. And he's like, maybe a preponderance of bass. <laughs> and it's like, if this is what you're picking on your kid about, you've yeah. got real problems. If your 17-year-old son is adjusting the bass too high and, like, that's your biggest beef, you should be thankful. Indeed. Yeah. They're basically, yeah, begging him to, like, act out and start a brothel while they're gone. If anybody was asking for it, it's these two. Totally. And they got it. What do you think about the memo minder? Yeah, the memo minder. So... I'm just going to keep calling him Balky. Go for it. I don't remember his name. So Balky and Joel are in this group called Future Entrepreneurs, which is like their thing that they're in to try to get, you know, into college. Just another thing to put on the resume. And they really aren't good at it. And they're not really trying. (laughs) But they make the memo minder, which it's like an invention that's basically like a notepad with a beeper on it. And if you take a memo like for your parents while they're gone and it's important, you hit the switch and there'll be like a red light beeping so that they know there's a memo. <laughs> Which weren't there answering machines by this time? I feel like there were. In 1983, I don't know. Maybe there weren't. I should have looked that up. And then if it's a really, really important message, then you click another button and it will say memo, 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 like out loud until someone checks it. <laughs> And that's their invention. I was trying to think of like, what would that be equivalent to that we have today? It's yeah. like, like a beeper or something. I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. That would be. Or like an answering machine. <laughs> right. But it would alert you. Mm-hmm. I mean, but only if you're standing by it, no, <laughs> you have to be standing there to see the light. <laughs> I love it. So to me, I was like, okay, so here they are. They have a widget. Welcome to capitalism. 
Yeah. We're going to try to figure out how to make people need, make people think that they need to buy a completely useless thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Welcome to capitalism. And this is all Joel is having pushed on him by his parents. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's so 80s. It's all capitalism. They want him to go to Princeton and his friends going to Harvard and they're going to get MBAs. And that's like all that they care about. And make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. So there's a scene and they're like him and his friends are sitting around in a diner and they're talking about, oh, Miles got into Harvard and they're like, oh, man, he's going to make so much money, like an MBA. First year from Harvard starts at like $40,000, which in today's money, I didn't look it up. I I didn't either. And then the other girl's like, yeah, my cousin's a dermatologist and they start at $60,000. And then Joel is like, is that all we care about is just making money or do we really want to like do something? And then his friends are all like making money. And then they're like, what about you? And he was like, I just want to contribute to the greater good for my fellow man or something. And then they mm-hmm. all like throw French fries at him because mm-hmm. it's like total bullshit. But I think that is true. No, yeah. He think he really did want that, right? Yeah. But I think then he, no, I think he, he was being genuine. And mm-hmm. what's interesting is that he actually does bring great pleasure to his fellow man. Yes. In the form of starting a brothel in his parents' house for the weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was he was getting um, boys who wanted to lose their virginity to a woman with no, you know, without any consequence that already knew what she was doing. Exactly. So it's a win win. It's hilarious because Miles calls a service that he finds in the back of the newspaper, an escort service. And calls a lady to Joel's house and then leaves. Miles starts this whole thing. And then whenever Joel is like, hey, aren't you going to like come into the brothel? Miles is like, I don't pay for it. Like, I, that's (laughs) not my style, man. Mm -hmm. And it's just so funny because Miles was able to recognize that like Joel is too uptight to get by like he he needs some kind of you know experience Mm -hmm. it seems like joel was like too afraid of right because in the beginning like after the card game well at the card game he was telling a story of like how he went to see this girl while she was babysitting and then she was saying like oh i think i'm in the mood like she wanted to have sex with him and then he said they were all making fun of him like oh i'm sure you just ran out of there and went home and masturbated because mm-hmm. he's just so uptight and then he said like well when it really came down to it like i was afraid i'd end up getting in some kind of trouble and i don't want to ruin my future so it sounds like he's just like afraid of getting a girl pregnant and so he just can't even like go through with having sex because he is afraid she'll get pregnant and they'll have to stay there and get married and he won't be able to go to college mm-hmm. and then so i guess if he was with an escort service person he wouldn't be so worried about that so Miles slash Booger calls and then he tries to get him to like cancel the call and he won't. So then that night Joel is there at the house by himself and it's like he's studying or whatever. And all of a sudden he hears someone at the door and he's like, oh, my God, like it's really happening. They're here. 
they actually showed up. And then you see like these sexy legs and pink stockings, like walking up to the front door and you're like, oh my God, it's happening. And then he opens the door and it's like this big African-American man that's wearing like women's clothing. And he's like, hi, I'm Carrie or Jackie or whatever his name was. Mm -hmm. And then Tom Cruise is just like, he's already overwhelmed because he didn't even really want to go through with having an escort at his house. Mm -hmm. But then he sees that it's a man and he's just like, really overwhelmed and so he's like oh um i'm not joel joel's not here (laughs) and then um so jackie is just like realizes what's up and he's like you know or she is like could you just let me come in and use the phone and they they work it out to where joel just pays for the car and the time Mm -hmm. and like everything ends on good terms And I felt like they handled it really well for an 80s movie because I was afraid. I was like, oh, here we go. Like another joke about a man. Yeah. Yeah. But none of that happened. Like everything was very cordial between the two of them. Mm -hmm. There were no like insensitive jokes or anything like that. It was Mm -hmm. just like an interaction. I thought that was really great because I was on edge. Whenever... Jackie showed up. I was like, oh boy, here we go. Fuck, this is going to be played for some laugh. Where the only joke is the fact that they put someone who's very clearly like still being masculine Mm -hmm. in women's clothing. Yeah. Because I feel like they did that a lot whenever they would have a transsexual in a movie. They would play, they would like weirdly play up like, a masculine quality mm-hmm. to be like, this is a man in a dress. Right. This is what you laugh at. Mm-hmm. And they still had that sort of as a getup, but the way that I all, I also felt like they actually might've gotten a real transsexual mm-hmm. to play that part. Um, because they just seemed really natural. In it. Yeah. Everything seemed really natural. And there wasn't any hostility. He was just like, oh, hey, buddy, like, this isn't who I was expect. Like, you're not who I was expecting. But there was no mention of it. Yeah, I was really, I was really impressed with that as well. Um, I didn't feel like it was played for laughs, Mm-mm. even though I'm pretty sure that the audience definitely laughed. Yeah. Like the audience saw it as a joke because that's the kind of stuff people thought was funny. Like yeah, you like could just 40 years ago. Or... Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's a it's a guy in a dress. Right. This is hilarious. What crazy man would ever want to be like a woman? I think it held up over mm-hmm. time that it mm-hmm. was handled really well and not yeah. played for laughs. Just like, oh. This is happening. Mm-hmm. I can tell that I wasn't what you were expecting. I'm going to get you someone that's more like what you were expecting. And here we go. Mm-hmm. So then he calls Lana. He falls asleep waiting for her. Reading Architectural Digest. <laughs> <laughs> that every 17-year-old boy just sits by the door waiting for their issue of Architectural Digest to show up. <laughs> While he's like sleeping, he has a guilt, a sex guilt dream where mm-hmm. he's making out with the babysitter 
and all of the cops show up and all of the neighbors and everybody's like, get off the babysitter. <laughs> Just get off the babysitter. Committing <laughs> <laughs> a crime. And then Lana shows up and there's like a red light flashing and Tangerine Dream is playing and Lana comes in. He was good at playing a virgin because he seemed extremely awkward in the sex scene. He did. Oh, that was my phone. It fell. (laughs) Didn't he seem so awkward? It's like, so she just lets herself in the house and like slinks around in her sexy dress and her heels. And then he wakes up off the couch and sees her. And then he walks over to her and stands behind her. And then the door bursts open with like autumn leaves blowing in. And it's just like all like mystical and dreamy. And then he like squats down behind her in this like really awkward way to like lift up her dress and everything. And I'm just like, Mm -hmm. this isn't, I don't think he's done this before. I feel like he really is a virgin in this movie. He just seems so awkward. Yeah. Which is perfect because it was because it would have been a, realistically very awkward yes you're right he isn't just like that good of an actor i guess that he knows how to be terrible in bed on screen yeah (laughs) i mean i doubt he was a virgin no i don't think he was but also played one well lana is a weather witch like oh the way that she came in with the wind blowing yeah i like that and then they're having lots of sex, and then it's like baby picture, or Lana will move out of frame, and it's like baby picture of Miles. Yeah. I guess I was like, okay, I guess this is like symbolism. Then I thought they were going to move from like the baby picture to him as a man or something, but I guess, yeah, that was just like, I'm a man now, and I'm not a baby anymore. And they're on the in the background, like having sex on the stairs, which is like, first of all, why? They're like wooden stairs. That cannot be comfortable. You know what I mean? But that's also exactly the kind of thing that a teenage virgin boy would want. Would yeah. have a fantasy about and then be like, let's do it this way. Right. And like, then it's oh, like we can't make it to the bedroom. Let's stop here. <laughs> do it exactly. on these hard wooden stairs where like the ridge is going into your back every time. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. And I mean, I feel like he's too awkward and has too much pressure on him to naturally develop some kind of a like sexual relationship with somebody that he knows in an organic mm-hmm. way. But he lives in this culture where he can just purchase anything he desires. So he doesn't need to develop emotionally if he just makes enough money so that he can keep buying the things. But but his parents have taught him that things are just transactional that relationships are transactional. So this is just the culmination of his life of being trained to believe that like, as long as you have purchasing power, you don't really need to develop yourself in a real way. That's interesting. It's not something that even 
I guess would have occurred to him until Miles set it all up, but then it did work out for him with Lana. I guess it was convenient. The loss of innocence is like reinforced by how Joel has to go to the bank Mm -hmm. safety deposit box and he sells a bond that his grandma gave him and there's like the birthday card from grandma yes and then when he gets back his mother's crystal egg is gone yeah that's kind of like one of the whole running points of the movie is getting this stupid crystal egg back and it's so ugly (laughs) it's on the mantle it's like the showpiece on the mantle and it's just this it looks like a football made of glass and if you you can turn it on like a lamp and it's like her prized possession it's awful so so yeah it's so ugly i thought it was like an award his dad got for work or something and then it's like no this is actually like decorative and his mom picked it out and it's terrible after she spends a night with him she wants three hundred dollars the next day and before when Jackie came, he only had to give her like 75. And so that's kind of like what he was expecting because mm-hmm. his parents left him $125 for the week, 50 for food, 50 for emergencies and 25 for whatever. That should be plenty, <laughs> which is $125. So I did look that up while you were getting a sandwich and it equals like 320 something dollars. That's like plenty for a week for a teenager. Mm hmm. God. So they're obviously rich. It's $342 for the week. So then he's like, well, I'm going to be in big trouble for my parents because I get in trouble just for turning the stereo up. Like, I'm definitely going to get in trouble for this. So then he goes on a mission to try to figure out how to get the egg back from her. And (laughs) he brings Miles along with them. And they, like, track her down at this hotel. Because Jackie or someone had told him where where she could probably be found. And then he's going to confront her, but he like chickens out. And then she comes up to him. And I guess her quote unquote manager is like following her and she needs to escape because I don't know what was going on there. But her manager Guido is like after her. So she gets in the car with Joel and they drive off and she's like, I'll get you your egg. And then they never get it. And then they end up back at Joel's house. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then she just kind of like camps out there and is like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> like I can't go back to my apartment because Guido's got all my stuff and he's locked me out and your parents are gone. And I know that, and this house is really nice and I feel safe here. So I live here now. And then she invites her friend, Vicky, who is also a sex worker with her. And she hangs out there. And then one of Joel's friends comes over and has sex with Vicky, like while he's at school or something. So it's already like starting. It's already brewing into like a baby brothel at that point. And the next morning, she like makes him breakfast and they're hanging out. And then he's like, so do don't tell me I owe you for last night again. And she was like, did I say that you owe me? You don't owe me. And she got like all offended. And it's like, well, he was just checking because you surprised him with a $300 tab the last time. So, you know, he just wanted to be sure. He's like, okay, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And she's like, 
I'm sorry, but I'm not leaving. (laughs) And so he basically like skips school for a while. She finally convinces him like, yes, you can go to school. I'm not going to steal anything. La-di-da-di-da. And then he does leave to go to school and she takes his dad's car. And so his dad's prized possession is this car. The Porsche. Which is sort of like weirdly shaped like his mom's egg. Mm-hmm. Which is his mom's prized possession. Yeah. An egg. Lana's taken both of these things now. Is the symbolic of Lana taking Joel's virginity? Maybe. The egg and the muscle car? Totally. The muscle car, the stand-in for the penis? Yes. Joel is the marriage of the egg and the muscle car that looks like a penis. Mm -hmm. And she took that. Can we just talk about Joel's food problems and how he doesn't know how to eat food? Oh, my God. (laughs) Did you notice that he doesn't know how to eat food? (laughs) The dumbest part of the movie. So it's his first night alone and he pours himself like a big glass of scotch. Like in a a water glass. It's like a drinking glass full of scotch. And then he has like frozen dinner, but it's like he goes to dig into it and it's still completely frozen. And it's like, did he not even put it in the oven? No. Is he that stupid? He literally just thought you could take a frozen dinner out and eat it. And then whatever the main entree is, it's like Salisbury steak or something. (laughs) It's all frozen into a block. And then he picks it up and starts to eat it like a popsicle, (laughs) like a blood popsicle. Like a blood popsicle. <laughs> That's a reference from the uncovered <laughs> episode. Yes, that you'll hear later this week. Um, yeah, I was like, okay, that's kind of too dumb, but yes. Right. Then later, when he gets stoned with Lana and her <laughs> friends, he doesn't know how to eat ice cream. Did you notice that? Yeah, I had ice cream all over his nose, <laughs> which. As an extremely messy eater, I totally identify with. I always have food on my nose or like in my hair constantly. So that's actually more realistic than I thought. Yeah. So that didn't even really bother me because I was like, Uh I've done that. (laughs) That's good because I've licked a frozen Salisbury steak before. Oh, good. (laughs) So it's actually not that weird at all. Yeah, never mind. (laughs) These are just things we do. (laughs) So after like all the things happen and his dad's car gets ruined and sunken in Lake Michigan, then he has to like miss school because he's getting it fixed and everything. So he doesn't get in trouble. Yeah. So he's missing two midterms because he's late. It's just like his dream in the beginning where he's late for his midterm. So it's like all his fears and his dreams are coming true. And then he's trying to explain to the nurse, like, oh, I don't have a doctor's note, but if you don't excuse this tardiness, I'm going to fail two midterms and basically, like, ruin my future. And she's just, like, doesn't say anything. And she just does, like, a silent wave bye to him, like, fuck off, I don't care. Yeah. And I feel like um, 
I just feel like that's so true in so many instances of where like people just blindly follow the rules with like no regard for human circumstance. And it's like, well, yeah, this is going to ruin your future needlessly. Um, but I have to go by the rule book and that stuff is so infuriating. Oh yeah. No. It, and it's so common for adults to treat teenagers like they're not really humans mm-hmm. or like they don't know anything or like the situations that they're in aren't relevant. Right. anything especially Mm -hmm. like the rules which are the end-all be-all and like we definitely had some people in our in our high school authority system that were like the rule followers yeah you know and it's demeaning it's degrading to kids like kids Mm -hmm. are smarter than that and they need to be given more credit um, so while I was uncomfortable because I was like uncomfortable with somebody just grabbing a collar like that. Yeah. I mean, I was also like frustrated to the point where I could see myself grabbing her collar. It's true. <laughs> so do you remember the great permanent record scare? This will go down on your permanent record. Do you have any insight into permanent records? Not really. I mean, I guess it just pertains to like your academic file that will follow you throughout and like keep you from getting into college or something. Yeah. I don't know. I just know that like when I was doing the like dare thing and then the police officer was going to look up my uh, driver's license or whatever when I was doing a tour of the police station. Then I got like really scared that he was going to see like my previous ticket. And then that would be on my permanent record. <laughs> I was like, I don't really know what this means, but I feel like it will translate badly to my future options. But luckily I guess since I wasn't 18 yet, it didn't go on my permanent record, whatever the heck that even is. I don't think it's real. Okay. <laughs> permanent records are fake. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just a threat that adults put on kids. Mm-hmm. There's a permanent record and it follows you everywhere. Right. It's a lie. Right. I mean, yeah, what is that even? It's like it's either academic or legal. Like it can't be both. And <laughs> what does it even mean? I don't well, know. I think we should do an uncovered. Yes. Yeah. That's kind of what I was wondering. I was like, I wonder if Sarah knows anything about this. No, I don't really know. I guess. I mean, I'm thinking of it just for like college purposes. You know, like if you do something bad in high school, then it'll somehow translate to your college applications. Yeah. Like as soon as they run your name, Mm -hmm. this this special permanent record computer (laughs) is going to like spit out a file. On Mm -hmm. dot matrix paper. Yeah. You're going to be fucked, okay? Sarah was late to English three times in a row. Do not accept her for admission. That kind of stuff. Holly got sent to the vice principal's office for breaking the dress code again. (laughs) Oh, I got sent for that in junior high. (laughs) 
Um, my shorts were not long enough or something. So you were wearing my culottes. Oh my god, your culottes are too my long. culottes still were not long enough. <laughs> and my I had culottes. tights under them. Come on. Oh my god. I have a few questions. Mm-hmm. I want to see what you think. So Joel is developing feelings for Lana. It seems like she might be developing feelings for him too. I guess they're around the same age, even though she looks older. I think she's like supposed to be like a year or two older than him. So it's at the point when she's like staying in his house and then her friend Vicky's staying there too. And then they go on like a double date with Balky and her friends. And then they're talking and he starts asking her about herself. And he's like, it's okay if you don't want to talk. Like, I feel like you might not want to. And she's like, no, I do want to talk to you. And he asks about like why she doesn't live at home. And she says like, oh, because my stepdad was hitting on me, which is like, so common. I yeah. I mean, there's so many stories of these poor girls who have to like leave and because the mom's choosing the stepdad over them. Yeah. And then so he nice. asks like about brothers and sisters. And then he asks, like, so how come you're not in school? And then she gets like really pissed off about that because yeah. she feels like he's judging her. Even though I don't think he was. He no. was just asking, like, you know. But then at that point, she's like, I don't appreciate you judging me while you're sitting on your dad's forty thousand dollar car. And then she leaves. And then after that is when the car like goes into Lake Michigan. But so I feel like he was trying to have a real relationship with her, but I don't know. I feel like for most of the time she was just kind of stringing him along. And then like when they finally have the brothel set up, like the night of the party where he's doing this to get the money to pay for his dad's car. And then he also has this Princeton interview that night. And she keeps coming in and like barging in during the interview and kind of like sabotaging it, which I thought was rude. He's just asking for like five minutes of time. See, I didn't think she was sabotaging it. I thought she was quietly seducing the Princeton interviewer. Uh, Okay. Because she knew that she was going to lure him away after the interview Mm -hmm. to one of the other girls. Okay. I think. And so she was like kind of teasing him in the background. Okay. That was what. So I thought she was like helping him out. Well, it did end up working because he did stay and then he did get into Princeton because of that. Welcome to America. Yeah. You are totally rewarded for shit behavior. Yeah. If you get your interviewer laid, then you're in. Congratulations. (laughs) Even though his grades like weren't that great and his application wasn't Ivy League standard, the guy said. But then later, after he got hooked up with some women, then the guy let him in. Yeah. But so during the party, then Lana's like, oh, I've always wanted to do it on a real train because he's playing with like a toy train in the basement. And then she gets him out of the house so they can go have sex like on the subway. That was an interesting scene. I liked it. It was funny. Then also (laughs) somewhat sexy later. But like then when he gets back in the morning, all his furniture and stuff is gone. And then, like, the whole house is empty of furniture. And then he calls Lana, and she's not there. And then her manager, uh, Guido, answers the phone. And he was like, this is my revenge for you taking my girls. And it's kind of like later than he asked Lana, like, did you know that they were going to do that? Like, did you get me out of the house so that Vicky and Guido could come take all the stuff? And then she says no. But do you believe her? 
I was going to ask you the same question because I don't believe her. I don't believe her either. I think she was fucking him over the whole time. I do too. I think they were like, oh, hey, we lured in a naive rich kid. Mm -hmm. And so all of that money that he made minus the fixing the car went to went back to Guido. Right. How smart is that? Yeah. So she's actually the best future entrepreneur and she's actually the best capitalist. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Lana, Lana wins at capitalism. Yeah. He even said that like during it, Joel said that she was like, what a capitalist. Yeah. And it's true. So yeah. Okay, good. I think that she, I think that she was doing it on purpose too. You're right. That's why it was like sad at the end where there's just like this kind of sadness of, you know, they're not going to be together. It's not like this is some great love story. Mm-hmm. These are like two people that are really attracted to each other and under different circumstances, maybe they really would be a couple. I think that he really wants to be with her though. Cause he's like, imagine where we could be in 10 years. Like I think mm-hmm. he wants to be a couple with her, but I don't know. I feel like it, could maybe work but she's always gonna have like an edge going like she's always gonna have her own thing going even if they do get together well you notice whenever uh lana and joel and miles were all running away from guido Mm -hmm. in the car chase scene that she was really really excited by the whole thing miles and joel were terrified and Lana's like laughing and thinks it's hilarious, which makes me think that the whole thing was staged uh, right from the get go. Because she was never scared. You're right. During that whole scene. You really think if you're running away from your pimp that if he's he's mad enough to chase you in a car. Yeah. And he brandishes a weapon. He puts a gun up to the window before they drive away. So then at the end, he finally gets the egg back, though, like the whole thing. And he has to (laughs) buy it back from them for like $300 again. And he gets the house all set up, like just before his parents get back from their trip. And then his mom immediately, when she gets home from being gone for a week, goes to turn on her egg lamp. And it's like, and then she notices that there's a crack inside. And she's like. Oh, Joel, how did this happen? I'm really disappointed in you. We trusted you. And it's like, are you kidding me? I thought she was like more reasonable than that, like compared to the dad. But then at the end, the mom turns out to be completely nitpicking him over little stuff too. Making him feel like shit over a tiny crack in an egg. Inside the egg, it's not even like really broken. Well, all his parents care about are their material possessions. Yeah. You're right. They didn't even ask him how he was. It was just like, let's go check on our shit to make sure our <laughs> son didn't mess it up. I mean, yeah. it's really gross. And there were a lot. I mean, I, I don't I don't think I think the, a lot of values are different for a lot of people now. But like, I, I know these parents that are like the parents in this movie. Mm-hmm. And. It's really disturbing, and the kids are like get very confusing messages about what love is. 
because it gets Uh all mingled up in like material possessions and how much shit you can buy for somebody else and how much they can buy for you. It means nothing. If it all burned down in a fire or it was all stolen and, and Joel didn't get his parents' furniture back and they came home and he's standing there in the middle of an empty room and they say, oh my God, Joel, thank God you're okay. Or do they say, Jesus, Joel. You're so irresponsible. Where's all of our stuff? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? That's what they would say for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought it was really good at the end. It's like Joel. Well, he thought he was going to end up going to University of Illinois, which nothing wrong with that. But then he doesn't end up getting to go to Princeton. And it seems like he's going to try to stay together with Lana and. He says, like, while all of his friends are doing their presentation at the Future Entrepreneurs thing, like showing their paper towel racks that they made and stuff, then he's like, I provided a service of, like, human companionship and I'm a real capitalist or whatever. (laughs) So I think he won. I enjoyed the movie and I think I'll watch it again someday. Well, I think the cinematography was really beautiful. The music was by Tangerine Dream, which is a great band. Mm -hmm. And the acting was great. It's a really great movie. I also think it's really sad. Um, The only part that I thought was funny was the shot right after the Princeton interviewer leaves And you're like, oh, God, you know, he's not getting the, he's not going to the school. He's not going to Princeton. Mm -hmm. And a shot of of Joel with his sunglasses on saying, looks like the University of Illinois. Yeah, that was funny. (laughs) Everything about that shot was like perfect. Yeah. And I thought, wow, they could have put a lot more comedy into this movie. And they really didn't. Like, they chose not to make this movie funny. Like, this is a depressing... To me, this is a very depressing movie where people are just sort of, like, all in their own little bubble, keeping track of their stuff. Mm -hmm. And then whenever Joel tries to, like, reach out and make a connection with somebody... It's like he has to have a financial interaction. And then to make the connection. And then in making the connection and like being vulnerable, he gets burned because the whole thing is just a setup. Because Lana is really the hot shit future entrepreneur. Mhm. He got got. Yeah. And like I don't think that's some great glorious take on capitalism. I feel like people got 
the wrong impression in this movie. A lot of people got the wrong impression in this movie and like thought it was like a celebration of like 80s America and like yuppie values. Mm -hmm. But that is not the intention of the movie. You know, the intention of the movie is like is critiquing capitalism. It reminds me of the way that Born in the USA is misinterpreted. Oh, the Bruce Springsteen song. Yeah. (laughs) People just take the chorus and like don't listen to the rest of the lyrics. Yeah. And I feel like people people just take Tom Cruise sliding across the shiny wax floor. Like that's the movie. But. Yeah, I really thought it was going to be more like party 80s party movie, like just from that, but it really wasn't like that. There was a lot more going on. It's actually a really serious film. Yeah, it's good. Can we talk about the dancing though? Like it was so uncomfortable to watch. Him dancing? Like, yeah. I did not enjoy that. I never scene. enjoy it. I hate that scene. It's so awkward and just I- like, what? I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you said that because I was like, am I alone in finding this scene extremely uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. People use it as some kind of like cultural marker for feeling liberated. Yeah, it's definitely like one of the most iconic movie scenes of the 80s. It's him like sliding across in that outfit. But then you realize that he's totally not liberated. He's like a super repressed person in reality. Yeah. That's like as wild as he gets is dancing in his underwear in the living room. It's like, okay. You know, like that's the peak of rebellion for this poor kid is dancing alone in his parents' living room. And you know he turned the bass back up on the stereo. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And his dancing is just awkward. It's not good. And I'm like, they're showing kind of like his butt. And I was like, I feel weird about this because he's like a teenager. But he's actually like 21. I looked it up and I thought it just seemed like creepy. But I was like, I guess it's kind of cool to see like a dude just sexualized like this for a change, you know? Yeah, I I thought that too, that they really put a, they really put like a sexual lens on the dancing. And I know that that pleased a lot of women Mm -hmm. that were around me as a kid. (laughs) And I know that it was very awkward to hear them talk about Tom Cruise. I think there's like this weird thing that I have where hearing the adult women talk about how hot some like actor was like, made me like not think they were hot because I associate them with like the my relatives I get it Mm -hmm. so I feel I think that's also part of the reason where with Tom Cruise I'm like but it's really awkward and that whole scene is improvised I mean that was on that was Tom I was like Tom Cruise doing that it showed that's what he chose to do for that character Mm -hmm. which is pretty perfect for him yeah, I guess that was actually good because it was like not good dancing. Mm-hmm. And that it's was like, like a repressed teenage white boy dance. Just like the sex scenes, he it's like he has no idea what he's doing. Yeah. 
God, he really is a good actor, I guess. He's a fucking amazing actor. He really is. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what he does now. I mean, I know he does all these stunts and yeah. the Mission Impossible franchise. But I haven't seen any of those movies because I don't really. But generally, when I see Tom Cruise in a movie, I forget it's Tom Cruise while I'm watching the movie. And then afterwards, I'm like, damn, he's a really good actor. It's like every time Mm because there's like so much drama around. Like what he's exposed to the world of himself. That's how I felt about (laughs) this. Yeah, because we it's like all kind of shaded by the personal life stuff that we hear about now. But then if you can put that aside, mm-hmm. then, yeah, he really is good. It really is good, guys. Yeah, so, agreed. What was I going to say? Oh, I was thinking, like, while he was doing the dance and he was doing, like, all the crazy jumping on the couch stuff, it just made me think of his Oprah scene when he oh, was yeah. jumping on the couch. <laughs> That's his thing. <laughs> so it's like their bookends okay so we've got him jumping on the couch in risky business and turning women on all across america then we've got him fast forward some years jumping on a couch on oprah and women all across the world going wah, wah, <laughs> and completely falling out of love with him Mm-hmm. It was over the top. But it was all jumping on the couch. So maybe that is really his thing that he does when he's happy. I mean, he, he improved it in the movie. Yeah, he jumps on the couch. <laughs> oh, Tom. I mean, see, whenever I saw that, I was just like, okay, this is somebody who's clearly having like a manic issue. Mm-hmm. And I'm not gonna laugh at that, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be like, oh, what a fucking weirdo! Like, I mean, people really were like harsh mm-hmm. about him acting crazy on Oprah, and it was alarming. Like, I I watched that clip one time, and it, it there was something very like off putting and alarming about it. But it was because, to me, it was because it looked like he was having a manic episode and that he probably needed, like, to be uh, deprogrammed. But That's, Scientologists hate psychiatrists, so he would yeah. never get treated. So I guess the lesson is that it's super embarrassing to watch your older family members get all horny for Tom Cruise while you're in the room. Mm-hmm. Super awkward. I also learned that rich people don't care about their kids. <laughs> That's a broad statement. I know. <laughs> the adults are too busy working to like really care about anything. And then they just focus on the material objects in their life. I also learned that when you do sneaky shit that you are rewarded for it so do more sneaky shit yeah how about you yeah same lessons that's why i'm glad my parents weren't rich because they actually loved me (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, see, I feel like that's the propaganda of people going, oh, I'm actually really glad I'm not rich and, like, you know, people with money are bad. Because mm-hmm. it actually just keeps you from pursuing wealth when you could take that, when you could be taking that wealth and doing, like, really great things with it. Just be, you know, but if you have this idea that, like, oh, being wealthy means that you're greedy. Yeah. Then you'll never be wealthy because you then you'll think that you're being greedy. You're right. You know, my parents, I always got that message of just like rich people were like bad in some way, which yeah. many of them are, but many sure. not rich people are bad as well. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic level is. You can be a jerk. I feel like that was a part of like a lot of what I heard growing up was just like negative things about people who had a lot of money and I think it did like it's in my mind of like I almost feel like afraid to make a lot of money or like I would feel guilty about it and I yeah. think that's probably why but it's which is but, why maybe why I haven't made a lot yet but I will someday and I almost feel awkward about it like already of like yeah. oh I'm gonna get this much money and then I feel like weird about it or like I should feel bad and it's because of things like that. Definitely. I remember hearing like the phrase rich bitch. Oh. A lot. Oh man. Well, that's like what the Hollow Note song was originally, but then they changed it to girl. Oh, really? <laughs> but actually it was about a guy. Oh. He's but a rich bitch. <laughs> and you know we don't mind anyway. <laughs> that's a phrase that i heard like a lot what would the question be for this episode oh i don't know has your friend ever tried to set you up with a sex worker to be honest with you like i know people that that has happened to really yeah because it's like you're not it's not gonna happen any other way so let's just get this done for you wow Mm-hmm. I don't think I've met anybody that I know of that that's happened to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I might know somebody and they didn't tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not something that they talk about. So it could be pretty rare, but I feel like it has happened. Or like, okay, have you ever had a friend try to set you up with a sex worker to help you lose your virginity? A friend or a relative? That happens. Oh, yeah, that happens. Or have you so... ever just like done that on your own like maybe before going to college like always happens in these movies where you felt like it's not happening for me but I really want to get this experience just get it out of the way and so I'm gonna go to a professional also if you are a sex worker oh yeah and you have clients that trying to get rid of their virginity that is also very interesting yeah So, yes, if you've been the one giving away your virginity or you've been the one taking the virginity in the sex worker setting, we'd love to know about it. I want to hear everything about it. Every detail. (laughs) Every detail. Every detail. (laughs) Email us at coverizepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can DM us, but I feel like that's something that's easier to just email yeah, like stories, you know. Yeah, it would take forever to DM. Yeah, 
All that thumb action. Too much thumbing. That would be good. I hope we get some of those. Me too. <laughs> Very curious about it. Well, mm-hmm. we're gonna we are going to do the after party for Patreon supporters like you. And you. And her over there. <laughs> okay. Oh, see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Cover Your Eyes Podcast. We love it when you subscribe, rate, and review. On Patreon, we've got an after party every week where we tell all our secrets. And answer the movie mysteries that keep you up at night. It's twice the melodrama and double the fun. Find it on patreon.com backslash cover your eyes. Oh, don't forget, if you have your own memories of this movie, let us know. Email us at cover your eyes podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Thank you.